You're listening to the news on RTHK. For the last three to five years. Part of financial services is known to be very tough. And traders trading all sorts of things. Volatility in the foreign exchange market. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to this Thursday's edition of Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. OPEX has slashed its oil production estimate for 2015. Stocks tumbled in the market's worst day since early October. And Google is the best company to work for. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll talk with Michael Hansen Lawson of East Capital about the crash of the ruble and what this means for the Russian economy. We'll also talk with Steve Wang of the Reorient Group about China's November inflation data and implications for further monetary policy easing. Carolyn Wong of Morgan Stanley will explain about the bank's support for Operation Santa Claus and uh, they're hosting a special Christmas choir that will take place this evening. And with us throughout the half hour as guest host is Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Renita. Do you have a fun fact for us this Thursday? Yes, a fun fact is that now half of the world's government bonds yield less than 1%. Yikes. Uh, I don't know how much fun that actually is. It tells you something about the state of the world, I think. (laughs) But uh, maybe it's not a fun fact. No, no, not indeed. Uh, Or I should say indeed, no. Well, volatility looks like it is back. Stocks tumbled in the market's worst day since early October. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 1.5% to 17,533. The S&P 500 dropped uh, 1.6% to 2,026. And the NASDAQ Composite Index fell 1.7% to 4,684. The culprit... Oil. The price of crude plunged again after OPEC slashed its estimate of how much crude oil it will need to produce in 2015. Art Cashin of UBS says that the oil impact is beginning to spill out into other areas. I mean, obviously, uh, part of the sell off is Chevron and, and Exxon, but as you said, Goldman Sachs, among others. Uh, and the concern is particularly about the high yield end. Uh, a lot of uh, the small fracking companies and others are thought to have exposure there. And the uh, ETF, the JNK, junk for the high yield sector, took out the October, the Ebola lows today. So that shows you that people are really concerned about the financials, particularly the high yield end. So OPEC predicts that demand for its oil would drop to 28.9 million barrels a day next year, compared with 29.4 million barrels a day in 2014. Also, the U.S. Energy Information Administration said that U.S. inventories grew by 1.5 million barrels last week. Analysts had expected a decline. The administration says that Iraq holds the wild card in crude. Here's Adam Siemensky, who runs the department. Well, there are probably a number of uh, countries that uh, that could influence where things are going. Uh, you could look at the increase we've seen in Libya recently, uh, the possibility that there could be uh, difficulties in moving crude in Iraq. Uh, you could look at the demand issue, the slowdown in the Chinese economy. Uh, the, the list of uh, possible suspects in the oil price decline is very long. But it does seem that OPEC is hoping for a miracle that may not come. The report says that the U.S. will bring a million barrels online in 2015. 
Yeah, that number might slip a little bit with lower prices. Uh, it's uh, likely to slip more if prices stay lower for longer. So uh, at the possible decline that you might see in, uh, in how uh, shale oil production is growing uh, it is real if prices stay at these right. levels. The country that gets the biggest headlines in this is always Saudi Arabia because they maintain spare production so they can raise production if you need it. Uh, and in the past, they've often cut production to try to balance the markets. I think the situation uh, this time is uh, is a lot more complicated, and the I the idea that the Saudis alone can fix this, I think, is really wrong. The benchmark U.S. crude declined 4.5 percent to $60.94 a barrel. Brent crude is currently at $64.24 a barrel. Wells Capital Management's Jim Paulson says that the time to buy energy stocks is now, well before they rally. The continued weakness is just throwing off this idea of a global economic slowdown, uh, you know, getting worse. And what I think is interesting about the commodity market is it's mainly energy. If I look at the S&P Goldman Sachs non-energy commodity price index, it's flat year to date. It's not down, it's flat. If I look at Goldman Sachs industrial uh, metals index, it's flat year to date. In fact, the non-energy commodity price index is up in the last 30 days by about 4 or 5%. So I really think this is a one-off in energy uh, that has more to do with the dollar than anything else. And what I noticed today, which uh, might be of the start of a beginning trend, is the dollar is peaking out for a little bit. The DXY is off the last couple days. It's now basically flat for uh, really since uh, it reached about that 88 level um, in, uh, in early November. And you see the euro rallying, you see the yen rallying big today. Those That might be the more important thing, because if the dollar comes off from its high, I think you're going to get a bounce in oil. Rather being an overall market event from slow growth, I think this is a whale of a buying opportunity for energy and energy stocks and commodities in general. Okay, so Peter, the soothsayer, you uh, predicted this volatility a while ago. Um, Do you agree with Jim Paulson? Not really, no. I I think, first of all, trying to predict the bottom in the oil price is going to be very, very tough. But um, it's not just a supply issue. We also have to remember it's a demand issue. And and one of the reasons that oil has been falling is because global GDP growth, the expectations for that, are falling quite rapidly in, in a lot of places around the world. But China is very, very important in this. China is um, the the world's biggest importer of oil. We saw data out of China at the beginning of this week, which suggests that consumption, domestic consumption in China is much weaker than forecast. And that in turn will have an impact on GDP. So if China GDP falls below 7% next year, which I think is quite likely, that will have an impact on, on commodity prices, not just oil. Look at what's happening to iron ore, for example. It's down 50% on the year simply because there's been too much investment and overproduction um, and and that deflation is being exported um, uh, around the world.
Now, Jim also talks about the dollar. Um, you have to look at what exactly is the dollar um, going up against. And, and, you know, it's had a bit of a um, – the, the yen has had a rebound in the last couple of days against the dollar. But if you look at emerging market currencies, the JP Morgan um, Emerging Markets Currency Index, which was launched back in January 2000, is now at a record low. And I'm losing count of those currencies that are actually hitting record lows. But Russia certainly has. Nigeria has. South Africa has now hit a record low against the dollar. Mexico, which isn't even a, a commodity country, is now at a, at a five-year low. So the volatility is spreading out from commodities into currencies. It's also spreading into bonds. If you look at uh, Germany, its 10-year bond hit a new record low last night of 0.67%. And many emerging market currency bonds um, are collapsing in Venezuela, in Ukraine, in Russia, in Colombia. So the volatility is spreading outwards um, across asset classes, and it's now starting to affect equities as well. Indeed. Let's bring in uh, Steve Wang, who is the research director at the Reorient Group. He joins us on Money for Nothing this morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. So, Steve, uh, you know, Peter Lewis has just brought up an interesting point about these various currencies crashing against the dollar. Um, Okay, so we can understand the danger of that. But what about currencies that are pegged to the U.S. dollar, uh, you know, in this part of the world? What does it mean for them? You're talking about Hong Kong dollar? Yep. Hong Kong dollar. Hong Kong dollar or renminbi. Well, I think Both? Our, <laughs> uh, don't have much of a view for Hong Kong dollar. I think it's still pretty strong because the stock market is going higher and we have a pretty strong property market. So the inflow of global capital, because everything else in the world sucks. So it's all coming out to Hong Kong. And China obviously is growing. I disagree with your uh, uh, Peter, Peter's view that, that China's GDP is growing slightly below 7%. The reason is very simple. The 12 five-year plan mandates China to grow at 7.0% or above during the 2010-2015 period. So there's no way they're going to allow that to slip below that. So we'll, we'll hold that breath. So but, can, that? but can the, uh, the, the PBOC and the government, even though that's that mandate, how can it impact that? I mean, are, are you concerned about some of the trade numbers that we saw earlier this week, which showed very sharp um, falls in imports and exports? That, that seems to suggest that despite the mandate, um, the, the central bank may not be exactly in control of what's happening in the real economy. Yeah, okay, let me just comment that a bit about the import number. I, definitely the import number was a bit of a shocker at uh, falling below 0% year-on-year growth. So we, we took a look in particular just the oil price. So look at the oil price growth for the previous three years. In fact, in real quantity, in volume terms, China is importing crude oil at the fastest pace in three years, up 9% year-on-year this year to date. And I think in uh, November was about 8%, so it's not bad. But in terms of volume, we haven't we've heard previously that China is stocking up on crude oil. We haven't seen that in November yet, so expect that to come in December or January. So all in all, the average price of crude oil that China pays for in November was eighty-eight US dollar per barrel. But right now, what is it now? Sixty. So there's a lot of room for you know the price of oil uh, bill that China have to pay. So actually, the impact on the currency side is that China has room to devalue its currency know, sort of along with the rest of the world, right? I mean, so and, and do you think they will? Do you think they'll get involved yeah, in a competitive they, they could, devaluation? You because know? precisely they can help on the export side because the import is cheaper now. You see, the import has been lagging 
the export growth. So in that sense, you can just tune the environment be a little bit to just help our situation. They don't need to. They can do it. But they're, no, they're now just definitely a little bit concerned about the domestic situation because of inflation numbers is, is plunging, right? So we've been calling that, okay, the non-food inflation has been sitting around 1.5 for like you know, two or three years. But now in the past six months, it's been sliding now towards 1.0. And that is why you know, we're basically at the best forecast on the street for this inflation number and calling for a rate cut. So in a sense, for investors who are are listening to money for nothing, bad economy is strong for the stock market. Stock market is on fire now. Five times turnover, you know, in the past, like, you know, compared to the summer, 500, what is it, 50 billion uh, 500 billion RMB of turnover in Shanghai alone yesterday. Yeah, indeed, uh, the Shanghai Composite is up about 51%, I think, since June. Uh, do you yes. agree with other analysts who are saying that the bull market is just getting started now? Yes, because they could look at it, okay? In summertime, we went to London for a marketing trip. We were telling fund managers in London, which they all disbelieve what we they thought we were crazy, right? They said, okay, the PE is at eight times. And right now, it's at 12 times. So that's, that's exactly what you said, up 50% from 2000. Now it's at 3,000. But looking back in history, the speculative forces can easily bring a 12 times PE to a 45 times PE. That's what they did in 2007. So, you know, there's a lot of room for imagination here. Really, it's about imagination game. This is not about fundamental growth story. As economists, we're sort of changing our role into econo strategists because we tell people that, well, the economy is really doing not that great. But I think there's a lot of huge amount of enthusiasm within the onshore market. None of that is being helped by the through train, unfortunately. But, you know, in, domestically, you know, the, the people are opening accounts, turnover are surging. It looks like it's going to go higher. I mean, it's very hard to catch a falling knife if you turn the charts upside down. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Steve Wang, and he is the research director at the Reorient Group. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down 1.14% to 17,213. Australia's ASX index is down 1.17% to 5,175. And Seoul's Kospi is also down 7 tenths of a percent to 1,900. Well, uh, we'll be back to talk more about the Russian ruble. That's right after this. Tai Chi is a healthy exercise. Yet doing Tai Chi in public administration is not healthy at all. In local slang, it means shirking responsibility or not giving people the help they need. In other words, maladministration. Let's say no to that. To complain against government departments and public organizations, please call the Office of the Ombudsman at 2629-0555. The time is 8.17 a.m. and Google is the best company to work for. Glassdoor announced its 7th Annual Employees' Choice Awards, honoring the best places to work across the U.S. and the U.K. The winners were determined by people who know these companies best, their employees. Here's Glassdoor's co-founder and CEO, Rob Homan. Yeah, so it's interesting with Google. They are sort of building agile HR. Um, the HR team uh, is surveying the employee base very frequently and then trying to respond very rapidly to things that they need. And what's standing out this year is that as the workforce at, at, at Google has aged, employees need more support for work-life balance and in particular, families. Mm-hmm. 
So Google has stepped up maternity leave, paternity leave, so on-child daycare. Yeah, in general, they've managed to make Google a place where you can both have a life and give your best to Google. Um, and, and employees have responded really, really well. So switching gears, uh, Russia's central bank is set to meet today, but it only appears to have some bad options at hand. With inflation in Russia veering towards 10%, the central bank has little choice perhaps but to raise rates maybe aggressively. Yet this can't be good for the economy. Peter, how do you think the central bank is going to play this? Well, the Russian central bank, like many emerging market central banks, are in a, a difficult position at the moment because as the economy goes into recession, they really would like to lower rates, but at the same time, they want to prevent capital outflows. They want to combat inflation. So to talk about Russia, we have with us Michael Hansen Lawson, who's the CEO of East Capital Asia, um, a firm that specializes in investing in Russia and um, Eastern European markets. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Peter. So we've seen so far this year the Russian ruble fall almost 50%. We've seen similar falls in the in the Russian equity market, uh, a market that's very dependent, uh, an economy that's very dependent on oil. As oil falls more, can this get worse in Russia in terms of the reaction in financial markets? Well, um, <clears throat> the ruble is down 40% against the mighty uh, dollar. The dollar-based index is also down approximately 40%. The interesting thing is that um, Moscow has two exchanges, um, dollar-based and ruble-based. The ruble-based index is up approximately 10% this year. Now, that is interesting because the largest component of that index um, is the oil and gas sector. Uh, Those companies have dollar income and ruble costs. Um, They're also very important because they contribute approximately 50% uh, to the budget. Um, So their health is important, and they obviously contribute to a healthy current account surplus at the current time. So how does this compare to the Russian debt crisis of 1998, when we started to see the government default? Are are we heading for a similar type of crisis, or is Russia in in a better position now? In 1998, um, the Russian foreign exchange reserves were $11 million. Today, they are in excess of $400 billion, the fourth largest in the world. Also, in um, 1998, debt to GDP uh, was well over 100%. Today, it's 10%. So it is a very different position. In fact, Russia is in a very strong macroeconomic situation. Yep. So much better than 1998. But it, it, is the fall in the, in the stock market and in the, and in the ruble, is it having an effect on the real economy? Do people in the, in the streets, you know, consumers, are, are they noticing um, the effects of this? Well, it, people in the street do notice the foreign exchange rates because they tend to be uh, marked up on uh, every building. Um, So they have noticed that. Um, They are probably just uh, curtailing perhaps some expenditure, for instance, uh, traveling less abroad uh, and more within Russia to places like St. Petersburg or or Crimea. As far as the stock market is concerned, they're much less involved. There are very few retail punters in Russia. So the effect is pretty marginal. As far as the real economy is concerned, not too much. Even at the beginning of the year, growth was pretty insipid because of lack of investments. Um, Russians in general are very lowly levered. So higher, uh, sorry, a decrease of, of the ruble and possible higher rates wouldn't affect them so much. And corporates also are not too highly levered either and mostly indebted in rubles, much less 
than was the case in 08 or 98. Michael, I'd like to ask you uh, quickly, what is the danger perhaps of contagion? Is there a risk that Russia's problems could filter out elsewhere? Well, I think if you look at the Asian crisis, for instance, the problem there was currencies pegged to the dollar and lots of imbalances throughout Asia in those days, in 97, 98. Um, The Russian ruble is no longer... um, pegged, it actually is floating freely. And there are no imbalances. Russia has a current account surplus um, and a budget surplus. So much less. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Michael Hansen Lawson, and he is the CEO of East Capital in Asia. Well, it uh, certainly is that time of the year again. Hey, Santa, can you bring Can you bring me something sweet? Something sweet. Something, something sweet. Yes, Santa is definitely back to bring us something sweet, something good. Morgan Stanley is here today as Santa. They have been a major support of our annual charity fundraiser, Operation Santa Claus. And among the calendar of events uh, this evening, the Investment Bank will host a Christmas choir performance at the ICC. The event will be held on Level 8 from 5.30 to 6.15 p.m. Joining us now to talk about this is Carolyn Wong. She is the Head of Community Affairs, Asia Pacific at Morgan Stanley. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, Renita. So tell us a little bit more about this evening's event. It's one of the most exciting that I know of in all of uh, the various Operation Santa Claus events. Well, thanks for that, Renita. We are very excited about it. Um, This evening is our annual Director's Choir where um, the managing directors and business heads uh, gather and sing Christmas carols in public uh, in support of Operation Santa Claus and our core charity partner, the Rainbow Project, who is also one of Operation Santa Claus's 2014 beneficiaries. And how does this actually work as a fundraiser? So basically, uh, employees spend, it's normally one week, but we've actually condensed it into two very intense days this year, two days of pledging for their managing directors um, and business heads to sing in the choir. So those directors who receive pledges of 3,000 Hong Kong and more are required to sing in the choir. Oh, I see. So it's not a set group of people who would sing it. So it's almost like voting them up. <laughs> That's correct. I see. So, uh, you know, what's the idea behind this? Is, is the idea that they are good singers or is it, uh, you know, sort of to embarrass them and have a good laugh? <laughs> <laughs> well, truthfully, you know, probably a little bit of both. Uh, this is our 12th year doing the choir. So I'd have to say probably when we started uh, 12 years ago, it was probably the latter of, you know, kind of forcing, you know, people's bosses to get up on stage in public and sing. But after 12 years, um, you know, people are used to it and very much look forward to it. In fact, it's a very um, important part of the, the culture and the spirit of the holidays at Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong. And Peter, what do you think about this? Think Would you a, sing? <clears throat> I don't think I'd sing. I don't think you'd want me to sing, but I think it's a I, great idea. I think that's idea. the point, though. That's what Carolyn is trying to say, is that people are voting for their bosses to sing, yes. you know, whether they want them to or not. <laughs> uh, I wonder, what, what other sort of events do you, do you, do you hold in, in order to support this? Well, um, last week, we also held a charity bake auction um, with proceeds also going towards uh, Now, that's OSC. more up my street, so I'll come and bake for you. And, <laughs> um, oh, well, that's great. We welcome that. 
uh, we had uh, 21 bakers across the firm, uh, you know, from senior people such as our co-CEO for Asia Pacific and CEO for China, um, you know, right through to employees across divisions baking these very creative holiday-themed confections that were then auctioned off uh, every day for charity. And we, we were very happy with the amount we raised uh, from that. And uh, actually, the, I have a question there. So you said that you'd welcome that, meaning you actually do invite bakers and bake goods eaters from the outside to join? <laughs> well, no, actually, that would be a kind of a special, you know, request for you, special Peter. For but Peter. no, it really is. It really is um, across the firm and the employees in the Hong Kong office. Um, and it's a way that we can engage everybody, both from, you know, people who have an interest in baking right through to people who who love to bid. Yeah, Peter's all smiles here, unfortunately. I'm well He's... known for my love of cakes <laughs> and pastries. <laughs> With the director's choir tonight, um, is this something now that they've been rehearsing for the last week or two weeks or, you know, once they've uh, pledged? How does that work? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because actually tonight we are doing something a little bit different. So in addition to the choir singing, you know, carols as a group, we've also introduced a new element, which is a sing-off where the major teams at Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong have chosen their own uh, Christmas theme songs to sing, so their own rendition, and the winners will be determined by audience applause. So it, um, the stakes are a little bit high tonight. My goodness. I mean, how much fun would that be to uh, be a part of that? Well, the good news is that uh, Radio 3 and 4's big boss, uh, Hugh Shiverton, is going to be there, and he has promised to get some audio that we can play back tomorrow morning on this show, perhaps with an announcement of how much you actually raised. So thank you so much for joining us today, Caroline. I hope you raise a lot of money with the Director's Choir. It certainly sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. That's Carolyn Wong. She is the Head of Community Affairs, uh, Asia Pacific at Morgan Stanley. Well, with uh, just a minute or so to wrap up, Peter, tell us what we should have our eyes on at the end of this financial week. Three things to, to watch. Keep watching the oil price. Um, it's getting perilously close to $60. Will it slip into uh, into the 50s? Um, we also get another peek at the state of the China economy with some retail sales numbers um, tomorrow. And also keep looking at these um, these high high-yield um, credit spreads, the junk bond markets and how they compare to government bonds because that's a sign of contagion spreading um, uh, around the world. There we go. That's everybody's favourite topic is uh, those that spreads and the contagion. Okay, a quick look at the numbers before we wrap up. Uh, the Nikkei is currently down 1.86% to 17,088. Australia's ASX index down 48 points to 5,188 and Sol's Kospi down 15 points to 1,929. In currencies, one euro will buy you 1.24 US dollars. The US dollar is currently trading at 117 yen. And the pound sterling is worth 12 Hong Kong dollars and 20 cents. Brent crude oil at $64.24 and gold is at $1,231 per ounce. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Peter. That is Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting. And thank you for all of your great Great contributions to Money for Nothing's Facebook page. Um, if anyone would like to ask Peter any questions or if there are certain topics uh, you'd like him to raise on the show, please do uh, comment on our Facebook page, which is Money for Nothing at RTHK Radio 3. 
And uh, here we are at the end of the show. I am Renita Malhotra Hora wrapping up. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be cloudy with one or two rain patches in the morning and at night. The temperatures will linger to around, linger around uh, 18 degrees during the day. Currently, it is 19 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 69%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Pro-democracy protesters have been holding a rally in Admiralty ahead of this morning's police operation to remove them from the streets. Over 10,000 protesters came out onto the streets overnight. Some packed up tents and left, but thousands remain. Student groups urged demonstrators to stay until they're arrested. They were told to bring equipment to protect themselves, but nothing to attack police with. Here's Federation of Students leader Alex Chow. Although the government or the police, they might use different furious action towards the protesters, we will still resist till the last moment. It's not simply for us to be arrested, but to demonstrate that as long as the government stick to well, the decision made by the central government in late August, the Hong Kong society in general, they will adopt an approach of civil disobedience resisting the government. Executive Councillor and DAB lawmaker Starry Lee says she hopes every stakeholder will engage in the second round of consultations that the government holds on political reform. She told RTHK this morning the government realised today's clearance wasn't the end of Hong Kong's journey for universal suffrage. She acknowledged it would be a difficult task for the government to achieve consensus in society over political reform. Once the government launch the second stage consultation again. We, of course, hope every stakeholder to engage because I think, including the protester, everyone wants Hong Kong to uh, reach our own universal suffrage. I think here is a chance to talk about how to move forward. Therefore, I think um, after this movement, they should rethink and